welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Paul Abel. Hello again, everybody. It's good to be back with you. Um, I have a question for you, a, 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 a one-question Bible quiz. The trouble is, if I call it a Bible quiz, everybody that likes quizzes will be thinking, yes, and then I'm going to disappoint you because there's only one question. And everybody that hates quizzes will be thinking, oh, no, a quiz. So that didn't work so well, did it? Anyway, a question... A question for you. And don't look this up on your phone. Just mentally think what you think it is. I don't know where this came to me this morning from. Um, I was just getting in my quiet time. It was like the question popped in my mind, which might make you worry for the state of my mind. Uh, The question is, are spiders mentioned in the Bible? There was no spider in my room. I wasn't meditating on a cobweb. It's just this suddenly came to me, sitting at my desk, looking at an iPad, in fact, which had scriptures open on it that didn't mention spiders there. But does, or are spiders mentioned in the Bible? Take your votes right now, whoever you're with. If you're on your own, see if you can agree with yourself. But if you have other people in the room, see what the votes are in the room. We've got a few people here. So what we'll do is, if you think spiders are mentioned in the Bible and you haven't already cheated by looking it up on your phone, um, raise a hand. Okay, we've got two people in the room, who, uh, which is the minority of people saying that there are spiders mentioned in the Bible. They are mentioned in Shakespeare, they're mentioned in Midsummer's Dream in the context of the witches, but perhaps we shouldn't go there. Um, And of course, they're in a lot of ancient literature, but are they in the Bible? The answer is, yes, they are. Well done to you two that are here, and well done to everybody out there that said, yes, they are. But let's face it, we probably just guessed. I certainly did when I was thinking about it before I looked it up. Personally, I thought they weren't. I couldn't think of a single example, even though I've read all the Bible more than once, I could not think, it just shows you how much you miss, even when you think you've read stuff. Uh, But yep, they're in there. Um, Three times or four times if you've got a King James Version, uh, because they now know how to understand how to translate the Hebrew word a little bit bit better. There's some very interesting uh, uh, creations. translations of Hebrew words in the King James Bible of animals. It's where we get basilisks from and cockatrice from. It's, it's from unusual translations. But uh, yeah, there's one verse translated spider in the King James, which is really referring to a lizard, particularly like a gecko lizard that runs up walls. But spiders are mentioned too. He's, he's one of them, okay? Just the one. It's in Job 8, verse 14. Uh, and it just says, What they trust in is fragile. What they rely on is a spider's web. They lean on the web, but it gives way. They cling to it, but it does not hold. And uh, Job's comforters as ever, (laughs) bringing the comfort. Uh, But what what they're talking about is those those that don't have a trust in God. They build into their lives webs of support networks. Uh, And that can be all sorts of things, can't it? We, We can all end up depending on all kinds of things, our, our job. A lot of people get their identity from a job. It can be so, an important part of the cobweb. The fact that you're married or that you're not married. Maybe it's really important for you to be single. Uh, maybe other factors that you've determined about your identity as you've grown are an important part 
for you of that web of what it is that makes you up. Maybe you've struggled with your own gender identity and that's built into a whole complex web of who you are. But ultimately, Scripture says, and this can be depressing thought at first, is all these things we build up in place apart from God are a spider's web. And when we actually grab hold of them, the problem can be that they just, well, always in the case of a a spider's web, unless you're like, Shelob's web in Lord of the Rings, spider's webs in the real world just crumble or just get stuck to your hands and are a sticky mess, yeah? They're not something you can grab hold of. And really what's being said here is that all these things, even the good things that are in our lives, you know, we get a lot of identity from who we are in terms of how we were brought up, where we were brought up. Maybe watching this right now, you are a proud bottom ender. You know, your identity is in the fact you were born in the bottom end of Scarborough, the old town, just, just to my left, just down there, okay? Whereabouts I live, but I will never be a bottom ender because I was not born in Scarborough. I've only lived here 13 years. But um, to be a bottom ender, you're born in the old town. And in the old days, a lot of them were fishermen. And being a fisher. A person who goes out fishing can become a strong part of who you are and your, or your identity. Um, my next door neighbor's um, ex-husband was in the uh, Navy. That must have been a powerful part of his identity. These days, he does lobster fishing and he sort of returned to a, a family heritage of, of, of fishing. It's part of who he is. And it almost seems rude to say, but even that is but a cobweb. Because the thing is, all these things can fail and will fail, is what the Bible says. There's only one thing that we can cling to that will never, ever fail. To fail is not a negative thing. In fact, to become a Christian, you have to know about failure. It's impossible, actually, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus without knowing you're a failure and you have failed. So failure is actually a blessing. And failure actually is still there when you are a Christian so that you can grow. If you never failed, you'd never grow. You'd just be a pig-headed, arrogant nuisance. You know, because you'd never be able to understand others who have failed. And of course, we all make the mistake sometimes, don't we? Let's hands up, everybody, that you see somebody who's failed in a certain way, sinned in a certain way, maybe, made terrible mistakes in their life. And we've never done that. So you can feel just that little bit better than they are because you've never done that, forgetting that you've got issues in other areas. And maybe you're blessed enough that your, your issues, your struggles, your temptations that you've got are not so public or so visible or so devastating. You know, for some people, what they struggle with is devastating. It can make them hated by communities. So, you know... And then there are others who struggle in different ways. And of course, we've got people who are living with things that the Bible would say is going against the word of God, but are now acceptable. And so you don't even see a pressure to change. But you've got to admit that everything is just but cobwebs. I'm not saying it's not important, all those things. I'm not saying that at all. This is an illustration of... um, how feeble even the strongest things in our lives are compared to building your life on the rock that is Jesus Christ. 
They can be things that are powerful identities for you. Things that you, maybe even things that are in your life that enable you to crawl past issues and mental health problems and you found things that have helped you understand who you are. Even those, the Bible is saying, are but cobwebs compared to knowing who you are when God chooses you and calls you. Think about that for a moment. Think about how important some of the... I mean, I'm a husband. Kate, my wife, is the most amazing woman on the planet, and I'm sorry you lot don't know her. Or if you do know her, I'm sorry you don't know her like I do. Because she's amazing. You know, and she is such a... <laughs> Did you drop that just at the revelation that my wife is, <laughs> is so awesome? It's like Jared dropped something. It looked like an iPod. Did they still exist? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's your phone with a sticker on. Look like one of those old click wheel iPods when I just caught my eye on it. Um, but these things can be, are, are important to us. The, who my wife is reflects so much of who I am. She's been so good for me in my life. You know, I, I'm such an imperfect person. I am such a failure in so many ways. And one of the reasons I have improved is because I have such an amazing wife. It's, this is just the truth. She's probably getting annoyed with me right now, saying such stuff. So it's quite good she's not here. But uh, I can't see her face. But it's true that she's solid and strong for me. Even when she's not, she's still there. She's still me. She still believes in me, you know? And that's a strong part of who I am. But it's a cobweb compared to who I am in Christ. And if I... If I start to lean on that rather than take hold of what God has for me, the thing that was really strong in my life can be just a cobweb. We can do it with people. We can have all sorts of people. It can be your, your mother, your father, a, a, a spouse like we've talked about, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a special friend, a teacher. And something happens that means they are no longer that person in your life. Maybe they do die. Or maybe you have an argument and fall out. And it can be devastating because they've been such an important part of how you saw yourself. Or they've been such a powerful influence in who you are. And that's not to deny that they have. But it's just saying whenever we have these things. Could be a, a great Christian leader who's teaching you've listened to, and then something happens that really, um, you know, spoils what you know of that person. But it doesn't, it doesn't take away actually what you got in the past from, from that. It just reminds you that even listening to a, 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 and learning from a powerful speaker, maybe an international speaker that you, you, know, you see on the screens and stuff like that. Oh, you see a lot of speakers on screens these days. <laughs> uh, even then, they're going to be a cobweb because it's not them that we take hold of. It's if they're speaking the word of God, it is the word of God that we take hold of. In Luke 5, um, it says that uh, one day, I've got it here. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's Lake Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. You know, even if they'd taken hold of the, the, the humanity of Jesus, that was going to let them down and be a cobweb. Ultimately, it's the, uh, well, not ultimately, and in the beginning, it's the word of God 
And Jesus is the Word, of course. But the human Jesus is not the Word. He's both God and human. But he was the Logos, the Word of God. If they'd only taken on of the humanity of God, even that cobweb would be futile to grab hold of. And if you grabbed only of the humanity of Jesus when he was crucified, you would have lost all your faith. Because the humanity of Jesus died on the cross. There he was, being crucified. And if that was how everything you knew about Jesus, and there was nothing that had come from what you'd heard, or for many of the Jewish people from what they knew from Scripture of the Old Testament, it would be but a cobweb that destructed. And I doubt you would have believed any of the stories of Jesus being visible again. Because your cobweb had fallen to pieces. Just a little bit further on in that passage from Job that talks about the spider. Isn't it weird how God can get you into a message by asking you a question, are spiders mentioned in the Bible? Because I think it was from him. Weird, huh? Surely, just a little bit on from that verse, which is Job 8 verse 14. This is Job 8 verse 20. And you can read the bit in between. It's really interesting. But this Job uh, 8 verse 20 says, Surely God does not reject the one who is blameless. And I thought, oh, wow, God, you are clever. Because if you remember, two, no, three weeks ago, the, the whole talk I gave was called blameless. And there it was again. I mean, I didn't know the word was even in Job. Surely God does not reject the one who is blameless. And if you remember... Three weeks ago, you're pretty good if you do. But if you remember, the focus of what I was saying three weeks ago um, really was that we are blameless. Yeah? Do you remember? Ephesians 1 verse 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Because, yeah, the problem is, if you talk to people, anybody about being blameless, everybody knows they're not. Everybody knows they need to take blame for certain stuff because, yeah, they, they messed up this time. They did this wrong. They, they, they forgot to do something for somebody. They said something unkind in the wrong situation. They forgot to listen to what God was saying before they got involved in something and messed it up rather than it being a blessing that it was supposed to be. There's just so much. So how can we say we're blameless? Because, of course, that is what Jesus did on the cross. It's a declaration. That's why it's so amazing. That's why people should be jumping up and down and and getting excited and dancing around their living rooms. I'm blameless. Why don't we? Because we don't quite really believe it a lot of the time. And we carry stuff and we get anxious and we get fear and we get, you know, oh, I couldn't do that. Oh, no, God's not calling me to that. And a lot of the time it's rooted in the fact that we still feel guilty. Jesus paid for your guilt. You are free. You are forgiven. All you have to do is turn to Jesus to repent, which means to change your mind about the way you live. Because before Jesus, everybody is the most important thing in their lives. Has themselves as the most important thing. Say, what about people with very low, low, low self-esteem? 
that still means that it's the most important thing to them. They're just very unhappy with their understanding of who they are. But in Christ, you're forgiven. See, the people that gathered around Jesus at Lake Galilee, they were there to listen to the Word of God. And we need to look for every opportunity to really listen to the Word of God. It's so easy for it to float over us. It's so easy to say, oh, that was an encouraging word this week. Well, I suppose that's better than saying that was rubbish. But, <laughs> you know, you can hear the worst preacher. But if you go with an attitude of, I'm going to hear the Word of God because that's what I'm here for, you will hear the Word of God. It can come to you as weird as our, Bible, our spiders. I was going to say our Bible's mentioned in the spider. That would be even more weird. But our spiders mentioned in the Bible. And I thought, no, but they're there. That verse from Job chapter 20, he does not reject the one who is blameless. He will yet, remember, they're talking to Job. And Job goes through this horrendous time, which we won't go into now. But he says, and it's, it's there and it's right. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. Whatever we go through, whatever happens, there's a time of laughter that is coming. That's always the promise. Not just a time when you'll have the deep, deep joy of God that leaves a frown on your face, but actual laughter. Laughter is biblical. God laughs. Heaven is full of laughter. After all, God likes puns. It's true. There's puns in the Hebrew particularly. Yes, come on, Jesus. I should at this moment tell an amazing joke, an amazing pun, and I can't think of a single one. The mind has gone, boom. It must be God blessing you. Anyway, laughter. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter. Come on, church. We've been through one heck of a year, haven't we? For, you know, and, and I know we can point to some things have been better for, for some people and there's been really, really terrible things that some have lived through with, with you know, deaths of relatives and, uh, and all kinds of heartache and being separated from one another and the, the misery of feeling like you're losing friends because you, you don't see them properly or you realise five weeks have gone past and you haven't even sent them a text it's so easy, isn't it? Time just seems to merge. I mean, it's still March 20, isn't it? It's just been one long merge of, of, of mushy time with, with odd bits in it. Seems, seems forever now that we were allowed out in September and October, you know? But there is a roadmap. There is a government roadmap. We need to hear God now. How, how he's speaking to us. We're going to put up uh, very soon. We, we, were, we were looking at what that roadmap says. And to be honest with you, to be straight with you, it is very vague at the moment in specifics. And even all the dates that are in that government roadmap are all subject to statistics and numbers and what's actually going on in the nation. I mean, don't forget, we were never going to have another lockdown. We would only have one. And now we're on the third. So... You have to read those things and, and, and you know, just hold it lightly. But don't, don't make that part of a cobweb that you're going to grab hold of, okay? We all want to be meeting here again. 
and we'll do it when it's safe and meaningful. Yeah, we, we could have something here already if you look at some stuff, but you can't, you can't talk to one another. You can't have music that you can't talk above. You've got to be in and out as quick as possible. The service has got to be short as possible. You've got to have masks on. You can't have any singing. It's just not church, actually, because church is a lot more than just coming to listen to somebody speak. But yes, this week, we will. what we're going to put up initially really is this, this is the government's roadmap, and this is how it affects us as like gatherings, uh, the hub, house church. What do the changes mean in terms of house church and house churches physically being together? And because and, it's different for each thing, uh, support groups. So we'll have some of those things um, outlined on that for you. But please, it's a cobweb. All right, it is a cobweb. It's, it does give us some hope. We are coming out of this. Uh, it's going to be a funny old road out of this. I mean, you lot, you couldn't, even, you couldn't really get in here right now. There's so many lights and cameras dotted around, you know. And, and the main star of the show is really Hannah Barron because she's like center stage right now behind a big silver computer, which she's now hiding behind even more. It's all right, Hannah. You're in control of the cameras and there's not even one pointing at you, so you're fine. <laughs> Even if Dan grabs that one and wheels it round and puts it on you, you just, I'm not showing that on the screen. So you're in total control of us. Right, probably right now she's sewing Jossie's left foot in revenge. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> she's amazing and lovely. And we're grateful for everything she's done and learned in doing this. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter. Great verse for when mentally you're going through stuff, yeah? Because there's certainly times where we don't feel like laughing. Do you get, do, yeah, I, I, felt like, I nearly said, do I hear an amen? But that's probably not a good thing to say it to. And it's not really a phrase I use. It just popped in. Um, but he will, the, the one that you've got to hear it say amen to is this one. So you can say an, a loud amen in your house with this bit. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter. I can't hear you, but that's because you're a long way away. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter. Yeah, you can say amen in the room. You, you just can't project your aerosols. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter. Yeah. And your lips with shouts of joy. Come on, this is God. This is God laughing and joyful. We are coming back into places where we're all together laughing, projecting our aerosols with abandonment. <laughs> I'm not sure we'll ever be able to get rid of that picture of all these things flying around the room where we're in a room with people, you know? It'll be like, ooh, there's all these aerosols in the room. <laughs> but we will. We'll all be forgotten. If you look back 100 years at the Spanish flu and there's people walking around with masks and avoiding one another, I had no concept of that whatsoever. But if you look at history, what happened in the 1920s? Massive parties! Everywhere. It, it exploded, you know, with, with people dancing in those, that, that strange way with hilarious music. I wonder if it was related. Because I'd never thought about it, but maybe it's related. Maybe they just had this party spirit and this mad music and parties and the dress changed so much. And, uh, you know, it was hilarity as they headed into the 1930s depression, but we won't. And the 1940s wasn't any better. But... In the 20s, 
<laughs> we don't have to repeat that bit of history. Um, in the 20s, they started to party. I mean, it's not universally true. There was a lot of hardship and countries were coming off the gold standard and then everything else. It was a, but it was quickly forgotten, was the point. And what we mustn't do is forget what God has taught us. What word that we've received from God and what words we are receiving from God. Brian Blacklock was preaching that not that long ago about that quiet time, that time with God. This is such a key time to be doing that. We don't want church to be the same the other side of this. It's the most common question I get asked, what's it going to look like? I don't really know. There are hints, but it's something we're going to do together. You know, um, it doesn't mean we won't be doing some of the things we were doing before. It doesn't mean we won't have worship like we've, we've had. That's not what it's talking about. It's far, far deeper than that. It's about the church reset is about understanding what church is at the core. I mean, one of the things I think for me that are going to be so much more important are friendships. We're going to value those small friendships, those small friendship groups so much more. They're so important. And, and house church, if this church is to grow, and that is God's plan, that word from Heather, uh, uh, that Donna then said, yes, the harvest is here in the, in the, in the chat. It, it's so true. We're coming into a massive harvest time, but I don't believe we're coming into a time of having big evangelistic meetings at the summit particularly. Because the, the harvest is going to come in. With, what does the Lord say about the harvest? But the harvest is a few. I mean, really, if God's vision was big church meetings, you don't need a lot of harvesters, do you? You just need one at the front preaching a word. Now, that's still going to happen. We're still going to have gatherings here, but really, it's the harvesters. And then there's the call, will you join the harvesters? Will you be one of those that reaps? You say, well, I don't know. I know. You're blameless. You're perfect in the world. There's so much that is good in you. It's called Jesus. Yeah, you sure can get involved in that. For he chose us. When? Before the creation of the world. Quite hard to picture that, isn't it, really? I mean, the creation of the world, the, the universe, all those galaxies even, let alone planets and suns. But before all that, he knew you by name. You're far more important than the cosmos. Because we're made in God's image, you see. That's why. By, by the very nature, you know, you might not be a, an actual believer, but you can probably accept the logical argument then that if there is a God who has made everything by whatever means, that God must be the most important thing in the universe. It, it, it's impossible for it to be otherwise. If there is an incredible being that has brought everything into place, leading aside all the arguments in, in that at the moment, just, let's just do that bit, then that being must be incredibly important. What, the, what we learn from Jesus is the most incredible thing was that then that being chose to come and walk on this planet, 
because he wanted to be fully reconciled with people. Why? Because he'd made them in his image and he'd made them for relationship. Because the whole interesting, fascinating, amazing thing about God is he's not alone. There is one God and three persons who we know as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even God himself is community. Even God himself is love. You see, if God is love, and that is a fundamental, you can't get really much more fundamental than God is love, can you? But if God is love, and God existed before he created humanity, there must be more than one person. Because if God only loved himself, God would be a narcissist. Who would want to be part of a creation where God just loved himself? But we know God doesn't just love himself because he was willing to come, walk on this planet, be maltreated and even crucified, going through the pain and and the rejection of all of that because he was working to make us blameless before God so we could live fully and completely reconciled to our Father in heaven. Whatever we've been through. Whatever has been done to us or whatever we have done, there's always a route back to God the Father through Jesus Christ. That's what he came for. Because at the center of God, God is love. And love means you have to love someone else. Otherwise, you're a narcissist. Otherwise, there's something wrong with the love. It's not wrong to love yourself in the sense of, accepting who you are and you don't want to hate yourself and, you know, maltreat your body. Uh, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So the, the, the powerful thing in that is we know how much we really care about ourselves because otherwise we wouldn't eat or we wouldn't call out for help. If we're not eating, if we're struggling, if we've got an eating issue, we know something is wrong. We know, we know probably the person themselves is going to know if they've got eating problems, whether it's bulimia. <laughs> I can't even say the word. I'll say anorexia instead. Bulimia, that's the word. Um, thank you, Brian. Mask down, shared the word. Mask up, safety. Um, If we've got an eating disorder like that, we know there's something wrong. We need help. But we still love ourselves because we know we need help. Even in the midst of the darkest where people are, there's still a spark. But we want to love others as we love ourselves. I mean, Jesus isn't addressing the people. He isn't saying all of you that are in a terrible place should love people as yourself. He's just making a general point of Generally, people are healthy about themselves and we need to actually care for others, at least to that standard. (laughs) Of course, first, to get to there, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind and with all your strength. Because that's the source of being able to love like that. If you try and love your neighbor as yourself and you're not plugged into the source of love, you'll just end up very miserable and unhappy because the, the, the source of love will then be yourself and it will dry up. It will be another cobweb that you'll be trying to take hold of. You see this sometimes with people who are, you know, great people, don't get me wrong, who are helping others. And it's really hard to see and it, it, can, be, it can seem really mean to point it out because in a way it is. Um, 
But sometimes there are people who are really good at helping others. But when you look at the root cause of helping others, it's because it's become part of their identity of who they are. Um, they're doing it to fulfill a need in themselves. I mean, this is a tough thing to talk about. Some of you might hate me for this. Um, so you get somebody who is a kind person, who's doing things for others, who's even counseling others and giving them help. But the root of all of that is things like that's what enables them to feel accepted. And ultimately, that is an, it, it will be negative for them. It will work for a while, but it is but a cobweb. Because if someone needs you, if someone needs your advice, if someone needs to spend time with you, it can help you as well as the counsellor to feel that you're needed and that God has given you purpose. But ultimately, if your needs are being fed because that person has needs, it's going to pull you down because it's just a cobweb. And our true source of love and, seeing and, and enabling others has got to be love for God and our identity is in that we've been called and chosen by him to do these things. And you know what? It's so hard to know in ourselves sometimes what's actually going on because the Bible says rather desperately that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. So it's very hard to spot in ourselves. The thing is, if if you are a person that is being helped by helping others, one, that's great, you're helping others. So who wants to speak against that? So that makes it really hard, even though it's going to lead to future trouble. But secondly, if you are that person and someone says to you, you're, you're doing this because it's helping yourself, which is very selfish, it's likely to make you angry, isn't it? You say, well, I'm, I'm, at least I'm making a beep, beep difference. What are you doing? It's going gonna, it's gonna to make you cross. Yeah, maybe it's just the very thing you needed to hear. Not to stop you helping others, but to enable you actually to become far more effective and you mentally to be much more secure. Because then you're not clinging to cobwebs, but then you're saying, no, I, I can do this because it's God in me. And actually, we'll be much more effective. I'm at my worst when I think I can do something. If I sit down to talk to somebody, uh, Nigel's sitting just over there in one of his great shirts, all right? And maybe Nigel comes to me. He does have some good shirts, you've got to agree. You don't get to see him because you can't see into his little glass box that he drums in. Him or Ellis, they're usually in there. Uh, he's shaking his head at me. I'm sorry, Nigel. I like his shirts, okay? <laughs> he says, that's all right. But say he comes to me because he's going through something. And, and this is where I can really fail if I'm not careful. He shares something with me that I've been through. All right? Or he shares something with me that I've counseled somebody else about. The worst thing I can do at that point is think I've got the experience needed to help him. Because at best, he'll get human wisdom. And in any case, when someone is saying something about an issue in their lives and you think, oh, yeah, I've had something similar, or worse, we can think I've had something worse. You ever done that? You know, somebody comes to you and you say, oh, that's nothing. This is what happened to me. Basically, you're slapping them around the face with a large wet fish at that point. 
That is not helpful. It might become part of it later on as an engagement as you share with one another. But that's another point. So there's Nigel talking to me. He doesn't want my human wisdom. And in any case, as I was saying, people can come with things that are almost identical, but what is actually going on can be very different. What we need is the insight of God. Now, there is wisdom. I, 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 you know, there's, there's absolute wisdom in, in human count. In the same way you can go to a doctor for your physical health, you can go to medical staff for your mental health. Absolutely. Sometimes you have to do that. You can get into such a place with your mental health that you're in a very difficult place to take hold of God by faith. So say you're in depression, you know, taking... Uh, medication because you've been to the doctor or getting some advice can bring you back to a place where you can grab hold of those promises again. You can live with that different spirit again that we've been talking about for numbers and really run with what God has from that. So Nigel, if he should do this, sorry, Nigel, I'm not really picking on you or saying you're doing this. Just, 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 there's not many people to pick on <laughs> and you stand out because of your great shirt. Um, you, you should get all the prophecies by the same definition. <laughs> <laughs> see, Jossie over there, I can barely see him because there's a light there and he's got dark colours on. So I can just see a glint from his glasses. He, he looks like some... If he had a red beam there, it'd be like those things in Empire, uh, Battlestar Galactica. I don't know why I'm doing all these odd, old references. Um, Nigel comes to me. He wants to know... He wants me to be listening to the word. And of course, the word, yes, this is the word, but also there is the word that God speaks to us that will always be exactly in line with this. If it isn't, it's not from God. But he wants that. He wants me to be listening to God. He wants the Holy Spirit to be with us. He doesn't want just my wisdom. Human wisdom can be helpful, but that's not what is going to enable him to be free. At best, human wisdom really helps us to cope, particularly with, with mental health. You know, that's why there's, there's strategies and counselling and programmes and support groups. Ultimately, they'll enable us to live, but Jesus sets us free. Genuinely, we can be free completely of these things. That's who he is. That's what the Word of God does. The Word of God releases hope. Love, peace. Okay, I'm nearly at the end. Actually, this is the introduction. Because what I was going to speak from was Luke 5. All we've really talked about is our spiders mentioned in the Bible. <laughs> Praise God. It's great preaching. You always feel good when you're preaching. I, can I just preach for the next hour? Because I feel great at the moment. Two, I think, really important verses, and in fact, the passages are really important for us as a community because it is harvest time and it is time for church to look different and for us to be different and for there to be, there's going to be massive amount of healing needed, you know, and, and, and reconnection with one another. There's all kinds of, there's probably all kinds of hurts and things that we're holding because we're not made to be disconnected like this. And so it, it does stuff in, in us. More people 
are experiencing anxiety than have ever experienced it. Why? Because we're not supposed to be cut off from one another. It's not that there's something wrong with you. It's that something's right with you. Numbers 13.1, the very first bit, I mean, the whole story in 13 and 14 and the different spirit is important, but Numbers 13.1, the Lord said to Moses, that's, that's, again and again, God keeps bringing me back to this. We need the word of God in our lives. We can't be dependent on cobwebs. Anything else is a cobweb. Even if we've, to some extent, even if we've heard a word from someone else, even if you've heard God's, even if you've got something useful out of what you're, I've been saying today, for example, if you've only got something useful out of it from hearing my voice speaking it, it will be a cobweb unless it becomes you realize that God is saying this to you, not me. Everything I say to you will be useless. It will be cobwebs. You've got to hear what God is saying to you. This is why you can bring a word and so many people can hear different things. The Lord said to Moses, what is the Lord saying to you? Karina sent me a, a song this week from Isaiah, Fear Not, For I Have Redeemed You, that she'd written. That's what God is saying to her. And she's getting ready for when her and Donna are back on the streets with the ukulele, praising God and sharing the word. She's preparing. How is she preparing? By listening to what God is saying. It's the only way we can prepare. It's a getting ready. And the second bit, this is the last bit. Jeremiah 24, verse 3. In fact, why I'm saying this, can the worship team come back up? Um, I'd just like to praise God at the end because of his word is just so amazing. We could go back to that um, last song if you like, Jossie, but whatever you've got, really. Oh, yeah, I'm in the way. Jeremiah 24, verse 3. Then the Lord asked me, what do you see? This is Jeremiah 24, 3, not 24, 7. This is J24, 3. It's part-time J24, 7. A long weekend. <laughs> Mind you, that's how some people live their Christianity, but we won't go into that right now. Then the Lord asked me, what do you see? It's the same as what do you hear? We need to be listening to God we, with, with all our senses, what do you see? What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you hear? What do you smell? You know how smells can bring powerful memories? You, you can experience sense when you're praying in God, and those scents can enable you to experience the presence of Jesus. It's a supernatural thing. Have that word right now for you, and you'll have it happen. If you believe it. Uh, taste. Well, you could say, what are you feeding on? What's the main thing that's going into your head? What is the main thing that is enabling your body to be healthy? What are you feeding on? The Lord asked me, what do you see? What do you hear? What are you smelling? What are you tasting? What are you touching? In other words, what are you taking hold of? What scripture? What promise? What word of God are you taking hold of and saying, yes, this is true now? Luke 5, verse 1, which is all we're going to get from Luke 5. 
One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, as I was saying, I've read this earlier, that's Lake Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. But it could say they they were tasting the word of God. They were taking hold of the word of God. They were even smelling the word of God. All of our senses so that our lives are built on what God is saying to us. Because coming out of lockdown, and yeah, we have a government roadmap, but we're going to follow the God roadmap. We're going to be listening to what he's saying, not just going on God's, on the government's dates rather. We'll we'll go on what God is saying. We'll listen to him about what we do and when we do it. Okay, we won't break the law. And well, unless God absolutely and clearly, but that doesn't happen except in really exceptional circumstances. Because the law is about trying to keep people safe, remember. We'll be listening to God. So we won't necessarily, it says, oh, you can do this on that date. Will we? We'll see. We'll be listening to God about all the different things. And you need to be listening to God. House church leaders need to be listening to God about what is God saying to us right now for the group or the groups that we lead? What are we going to do? How are we going to meet? How are we going to follow the rule of six when it's back for us? These are really good questions. Please be thinking about them right now. You don't want a directive from church leadership. You want to be hearing from God and what he's saying. We might give guidance to help, but actually listen to what God says. Praise God. So the people were gathered crowding around him. Let's crowd around Jesus. Let's crowd around Jesus in all the different ways that we can and let's listen to the word of God. Amen? And rather than finish at this point, let's go back to you guys. I just want that one last song of praise because remember, he will yet fill your mouth with laughter. If you end up doing this laughing on the floor because the Holy Spirit falls on you even. Well, praise God. He will yet fill your lips with shouts of joy. Maybe let out a few shouts of joy because we're coming out of this and we're coming out of this good because we're crowding around the Word of God. God bless you, everybody. Let's worship Jesus. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.